1: are listening to KEDC, and this is Red Sea Roundup. This morning, I have a very a short first segment on um, the Catholic Schools Week, so I want to start this morning, everyone, with a prayer for Catholic schools. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Oh, gracious and loving God, we ask for your blessing upon all Catholic school communities but especially St. Joseph Catholic School. May our students be receptive learners. May our teachers encourage and inspire their students in learning. May our school faculty and volunteers foster growth in mind, body, and spirit. May our parents, families, and parishioners be so blessed and so generously supporting Catholic education through their time, talent, and gifts. May the power of Jesus' presence in the celebration of the Eucharist Strengthen our faith community so that we may, that we can truly give you glory, praise, and honor through our Catholic school education. St. Joseph, pray for us. Amen. Well, I want to say our listeners are all throughout not only the Brazos Valley, but also in the Waco area. And um, I was so excited too. I don't know. If you see, what Father Ryan Higdon, who you know is was at Saint Joseph for a while, now he's over at Bishop Riker, and he is moving and shaking with a whole program that incorporates with a, a partnership with UD. Very exciting stuff over there in Waco. So I'm glad to talk about that a second as well. But I have today in our local community. Stephanie Rayburn and Amy Lavender. So you guys tell us what you do. So Stephanie you start and uh, Stephanie is a friend. She was a friend first because her daughter and my daughter are both in class together and she uh, took on the challenge of service as assistant principal. Stephanie please go ahead and tell us.
2: Well good morning. Um, My name is Stephanie Rayburn and I'm the assistant principal at the secondary campus which houses both the junior high grades six through eight and the high school grades 9 through 12. Good morning, Mrs.
3: Marvin. Good morning, Mrs. Lavender. (laughs) I'm Amy Lavender, and I'm the assistant principal of the elementary campus, which is our pre-K four-year-olds all the way to fifth grade.
1: Excellent. Okay, so as our listeners probably gathered, this is Catholic Schools Week, and we just want to highlight um, Catholic schools. It's like we want to kind of ring our bell a little bit and say, look what we're doing here. I personally um, very much so believe in Catholic education. I've had my children in in the system most uh, 20 years now, I've been able to say that we do that. And at the end of the day, uh, my, my love of the sacraments and wanting to pass that on my kids is a major reason, so I have them in school. But before we start talking about some of these really awesome highlights, um, we want Thaddeus to tell us about... Good morning, Pam. Good morning, dear. How are you doing? I'm awesome.
0: Yeah, we've got another two pairs of tickets to give away to the Central Texas Fellowship of Catholic Men Conference Saturday, February 8th, coming up. It's at the Travis County Expo Center from 8 to 4 p.m., that's in Austin, Texas. Dr. Edward Shree, Curtis Martin, the founders of Focus, they're gonna be the keynote speakers. There's also gonna be a few other local speakers. Please, please go, please, uh, please come. We've got two tickets for you. Call in at
1: 855 683 7332 at 85 Love Red Sea.
0: You can talk to our lovely and talented. Administrative coordinator Caitlin, Caitlin Brightwell. Brightwell, she will get you all fixed up. So the first first two people to call in each get a pair of tickets. We'll be announcing that throughout the show today. Yes. Back to building, Catholic Schools Week.
1: Building holy men in the in our community. Indeed. Right. Okay. In Catholic Schools Week. So we're back to that. And again, I was just saying that part of the reason I have my children in Catholic schools is because I love the integration of the faith and Jesus being at the center. But he's at the center in so many more ways. And so let's talk about uh, the sacraments in the course of a day. Stephanie, let's start with you.
2: Well, Pam, our, our kids get to participate in the celebration of the Eucharist with Mass twice a week as a school as a whole. That's each campus individually. Uh, there are rare occasions uh, multiple times a year where we get together as a whole campus, which is also very, very beautiful. Um, and celebrating the Eucharist together um, just brings us together as a faith community and reminds us twice a week to stop and and, and reset our priorities with a faith based community and putting Christ first.
1: Right. I have the honor and the ability to go to the upper campus uh, the twice a week my girls attend Mass, and I have to say it has really grown the number of grandparents and parents that now attend Mass regularly, I mean, each week, each Tuesday, Thursday with their children. I was speaking to one of your lovely math teachers, and she said, I sometimes really get struck how I can teach here and go to math with my kids each Tuesday and Thursday. She said, that's really awesome, and she's an awesome teacher. Woohoo, Miss Matoka. (laughs) So, Amy, let's talk a little bit about the elementary school campus and how you integrate some of the faith and but one of the things I'm fascinated to hear about is the critical thinking mm-hmm. skills that you guys are integrating so well into the uh, curriculum over there. So tell me what the name of it is.
3: Well, uh, school-wide, we have implemented Thinking Maps. Maps, As, okay. Um, is a, mm-hmm. Thinking Maps, um, and we use it from pre-K-4 all the way through 12th grade. Mm. We use it in every subject. We use maps in math religion, science, social studies, and ELA. And time to time, Mrs. Rayburn and I have both used them um, for behavior.
1: Oh, okay. Well, you say thinking maps, but Mm -hmm. how does the critical thinking come into it? Great question. Thinking maps are consistent visual patterns,
3: and they're linked directly to eight specific maps that are designated for whether it is for sequencing Is it for compare and contrast? And so on. By uh, students visualizing um, their thinking, they're able to create a concrete image of abstract thoughts. Mm. And the patterns, okay, so the patterns help all students reach a higher level of your critical thinking.
1: Mm -hmm. Um,
3: It's And it becomes as second nature to students mm-hmm. once they've been doing them and we're doing them from pre-k four through 12th grade you'll start seeing students do it in their note taking you'll have teachers do them as um, assessments and so we've seen a lot of progress with our thinking maps that we're actually sending a teacher from mrs rayburn's campus in my campus this summer to be trained mm-hmm. in thinking
1: maps to, that's that's awesome to
3: continue excuse me to continue to help with critical thinking.
1: Right. And problem solving. Well, problem solving,
3: because that is something Mm -hmm. you'll use your
1: Your entire life. life. Exactly, exactly. Stephanie, were you wanting to add?
2: Yes, I wanted to chime in. I have a fourth grader and I have a junior in high school. And when I first heard this concept, I um, questioned, how is my fourth grader going to use this thinking map, this identical graphic, the same way my junior high, I mean, my, my junior in high school will? And I was amazed to see that my Um, fourth grader came home and said, "Uh, we're doing a circle map. And, And it was the same concept on a fourth grade level as my junior in high school. My junior in high school chimed in and said, oh, we're doing that. And all of a sudden, they're talking about the same brain concept, mm. but on totally different levels. And he was inspired by, you know, they that's what they do in high school,
0: mm. but on,
2: on different levels. So it's a way to tie from grade to grade. It's a way to um, bridge what you already know in a way that you've already learned to something new. And that makes it stick. That makes it stay with you longer. And, and it makes it Truly learned instead of memorized.
1: Hmm, that's wonderful. See, I love this part of it, too. but I, I really want to talk about all the cool festivities we've planned for this week with Catholic <laughs> schools. Um is tell me some of the the special things that we're doing this week. So I don't want to miss any special masses, too, you know
2: um, we have mass at the secondary campus every Tuesday, Thursday, with the exception of first Fridays. We flip that Thursday and Friday. Um, We are celebrating, still left this week, we're celebrating vocations. So we're honoring our priests and our religious sisters um, on Thursday, and we're celebrating our nation today. So Mm. in fact, while we were gone at 1045, all the campuses collectively, the ELC, the elementary, and the high school, at 1045, we're all stopping to say a prayer for our nation. Wonderful. And on Friday, we're celebrating our teachers. Our PTO is uh, generously providing our teachers with lunch. And Saturday, we're celebrating families. Um, we're going to provide all of our families 15 uh, glorious ways to celebrate th- within the family and and reconnect.
0: Just want to remind you, if you're just tuning in to Red Sea Roundup, get those tickets for the Central Texas Fellowship of Catholic Men Conference. Call in to 855 855- Six eight three seven three three two. First two people call in, each get a pair of tickets. That's Saturday, February eighth in Austin at the Travis County Expo Center. If you're a, a wife and you think your husband needs to go to this, you <laughs> also can call in. It does not have to be a male on the en- other end of that line. Mm-hmm. Back to you, Pam.
1: Yes. So with the Catholic Schools Week, you've got the honoring the nation this today. And then tomorrow is what is the theme? Mars, our we're celebrating vocation. Okay, you just said that right. Okay, that's wonderful. So, uh, in thinking about Catholic Schools Week, I know you're having some come and see too. Like any
2: time. Our tours are available at any time. Simply call the office and make sure that that Miss Lavender and myself are available for campus tours. Mm-hmm. Um, we did have a few tours on Monday at the secondary campus. Had an open house and some people come look. So wonderful. Um, we we're always eager to sh- show off our campus.
1: Yes, absolutely.
2: On a little side
3: note, today is also the hundredth day of school.
1: Oh, very and fun. So.
3: Yes.
1: <laughs> and, so you can't see, but Amy is wearing a headband, you know, with the wiggly, wiggly antennas that say a hundred days. So <laughs> and a hundred days of coffee on her t-shirt. That's awesome. Okay.
3: Yes. And so our students in pre-K and kindergarten are doing a big celebration today. And then the rest of the school made a tree of a hundred things they love about St. Joseph Catholic School. Mm-hmm.
1: Well, speaking of things I love about St. Joseph School that's new from when I had my older children on campus who are 23, 5, and 8, oh my gosh, I can't believe that, is you've incorporated um, a Blaze Ministries into the upper campus, which I think is a beautiful addition because as we learn, the kids learn from uh, theology. Love um, James Adams; he's such a great teacher for my kids. Uh, when he's they learn the theology aspect, but the ablaze ministry comes in, and not many people may know, but we do a day of reflection for each of the grades. Can you kind of clear tell me more about that?
2: Yes, I think it's one of the things that um, really solidifies. You know, our um, our school focuses on growth for mind body and spirit and to have theology and religion class daily is one level of doing that which is of course on a on a regular basis but with ablaze ministries and campus ministry we've been able to offer each grade level throughout the year has their own day of retreat where they they come to school it's a required day expected to be there and they put all academics aside and they have religion like a weekend retreat just within the day. Right, right. We also have junior high days of reflection where they can bond you know, between grades and the high school days of reflection. And some things that they do throughout those days to bond and to learn more about uh, God and deepen their faith are um, they play some games, uh, they'll have adoration, they'll have praise and worship, and they can uh, do the Eucharist.
1: Yeah, so I actually was invited to volunteer one day, and it was my favorite day of reflection. We took the kids out to Lake Bryan, and we hiked, and we prayed, and we hiked some more, and it was absolutely beautiful. And my kids, my older children says, oh, my gosh, Mom, I wish they'd had that when I was in school, because it's really quite beautiful. I can see a difference in the faith because I'm teaching it at home. But when they see these young people, that are there constantly. When I say that, the ablaze ministers who are college age or just right out of college, except for Taylor Schroll. <laughs> but I want to just thank both both of you for coming and we'll be praying for Catholic schools in our whole region and come back again next year, all right? Thank you for having all us, right. Pam. Well thank you. Ha- hang on. After the break, we're going to be speaking with Thaddeus
0: Mark Brumley of Ignatius Press.
1: Welcome back everyone. You are listening to Red Sea Roundup on KEDC. Today I am actually your co-host. I'm going to be turning over the mic as the lead interviewer today to my dear friend and uh, comrade Thaddeus Romansky. Hey Pam. Hi.
0: Yeah, looking forward to doing this. I'm all, I always yes. get excited about these fifth Wednesdays in the month mm. where sometimes you let me, you know, you let me have the lead and, and you, pick yeah. out who well, a guest might be, and you let me share the mic. So thanks so much for, for doing that with me. Yeah, today we've got Mark Brumley with Ignatius Press. Uh, welcome back, Red Sea Radio listeners. Remember, you're listening to Red Sea Catholic Radio on 88.5 FM, KEDC in the Brazos Valley, 98.3 KYAR in Central Texas, and 107.9 KINF LP in Palestine, Texas. And, uh, yeah, this morning we're going to be talking about the last installment in a trilogy. No, don't worry. We're not going to be reviewing The Rise of Skywalker, everyone. <laughs> we're not going to put you through that. Um, but we are speaking, like I said, this morning with Mark Brumley, editor-in-chief of Ignatius Press. Good morning, Mark. Thanks for being with us.
4: I'm happy to be with you.
0: Um you're going to talk to us about an important book that debuted toward the end of last year, and that's Robert Cardinal Serra's The Day Is Now Far Spent. Um, I do actually think that all the, the sturm and drawing around uh, the current Star Wars trilogy is kind of relevant to the book. Hang on. Bear with me. Uh, I think a large portion of the, the fans, they see, kind of see this new trilogy as a corruption of the original vision, and they point out that the story and the character choices are, they don't have beauty. There's not this sense of transcendence and wonder like the original stories. Um, where do you come down on that, Mark? What are your thoughts on that kind of a knuckleball of a question to start the interview off? Any thoughts?
4: Well, uh, of course I like the Mandalorian, you know,
0: (laughs) (laughs) I've heard good things about that. Yeah.
4: Yeah. Um, the Star Wars analogy. Well, I mean, I, I, I certainly think that um, uh, we live in a time where there is a sort of uh, diminution or decline in uh, faith that's happening at the exact same time there is a resurgence. And, and that's just talking about different regions of the world mm-hmm. that's operative as well. But uh, even within the same society, so, you know, in a lot of ways, we're dealing with controversies, priestly, uh sexual abuse controversies in this country. At the same time, we're seeing, you know, the, the uh, expansion growth of things like Catholic Radio and a lot of evangelical apostolates and so on. Mm-hmm. So it's a difficult thing to say, is this, is this a decline? Is this an advance? You know, the Church is always going through both, but I see this as—, as uh, in, the, in the Catholic understanding of things, you, in order to have renewal, you always have to have first repentance, and you have to have the, the Holy Spirit convicting us of our sin and our turning to Him— uh, for deliverance and renewal and regeneration, and reform and all that. So that's how I see it. Now, now, how this compares to Star Wars movies? Hmm. Well, well uh, I'm not quite sure, but I will say this: you know, the Rise of Skywalker. I liked out of the of the three recent trilogies, I liked the Rise of Skywalker the best. I I had my critique of different features in it, um, but uh, I you know, but of course, my expectations have were. Uh, um, deeply lowered mm-hmm. uh, when this last trilogy started. So uh, I, after having seen the first of the new trilogy and lowering my expectations practically to the floor, <laughs> it didn't <laughs> take too much, too much to go above that. And I think that we could pl- apply that in the Church, too. Maybe we, we, uh, we've been through so much horrible stuff in the, in the Catholic Church in recent years yeah. that uh, we're desperate for signs of renewal and vitality, and but they're there so yeah I, did i do a good job of linking those two i things? think
0: you i think you get it, did a marvelous job considering that like i said i threw kind of a knuckleball question at you so thank thank you for that and now um bef- before i come back to you i want to again remind our listeners you can call in to our administrative coordinator and get those pair of uh tickets to the central texas fellowship of catholic men's conference saturday february 8th in austin Call in eight five five six eight three seven three three two. That's eighty five Love Red Sea. Do that right now, Mark. Tell us a little bit more about yourself, and tell us about Ignatius Press for our listeners who may not know about either of you or Ignatius
4: Press. Well, Ignatius Press was was founded about forty one, forty two years ago uh, by Father Joseph Fessio mm-hmm. He's still our editor, and we, we uh, you know, we're happy to be working with him. And he's still going at uh, seventy nine. He's uh, amazing, amazing man um,
0: I had no idea he was of that age. he looks uh, so so youthful and vibrant
4: yeah well and, and you know uh obviously uh he's uh like anybody older older gentleman you know he has his his moments, but uh for the most part, I mean he's full of energy and always doing new projects mm-hmm. It's not like he's sitting around twiddling his thumbs i mean. He works at Ignatius Press during the week, and on the weekends, he usually goes up to our retreat house up north of uh, San Francisco, where he planted a vineyard, grows grapes, and makes wine. So um,
0: oh, nice. he's
4: not, uh, you know, uh, we, we use the title of this book, The Day is Now Far Spent, the idea that the day is coming to a, a conclusion. Well, he's not, <laughs> his day is not concluding yet. So right. that's that's Father. I've been with Ignatius Press now for, you know, a quarter of a century, and um I love it. I love getting to uh, publish so many great Catholic writers and serve the Church through uh, publications and the other things we do. We're involved with other projects like Catholic World Report and Homiletic Pastor Review, our online magazines. But uh, in addition to that, we are partners with um, the Augustine Institute on a number of things, including um, the Forum Digital Platform, which is Mm -hmm. a great uh, evangelization and catechizing effort. Uh, digital platform providing, you know, top of the line Catholic instructional materials, movies, ebooks, audio, things of that sort. And I think we have, I don't know, I can't keep track, uh, you know, probably 30 different apostolates, maybe more than that, that we're working with uh, on form. So it really is a, um, a team effort in an age when so many Catholic apostolates, I don't want to scandalize anybody, but, you know, there's a lot of sort of competition and there can be collaborative and you know Catholic competition in a good way mm-hmm. but sometimes there's uh competition that is not so good and it's great to see all these different apostles come together uh through form. Anyway, I'm I'm rambling. Yeah.
0: <clears throat> Real quickly, mention uh Catholic World Report. That's still associated with uh Ignatius, is it not?
4: Yeah, it's it's our our, our online news Catholic news magazine. Uh it's edited by Carl Olson who is also one of our uh, Ignatius Press best-selling authors, and uh, Catherine Harmon is the managing editor. And, and they, you know, we we have weekly, you know, we have news, uh, daily news. It's just say weekly. It's actually daily news uh, of interest to Catholics and others, and, and good commentary and analysis, book reviews, movie reviews, the whole mm-hmm. nine yards. People who are interested can go to catholicworldreport.com, catholicworldreport.com, and check us
0: out. It's one of my favorite landing spots, so so kudos on, on that as well. And uh, where can they find Ignatius on the web? Is it Ignatius.com?
4: It's Ignatius.com. That's okay. I-G-N-A-T-I-U-S, Ignatius.com.
0: Okay, well, like I said, if you're just tuning in, we have Mark Brumley from Ignatius Press to talk about a book that came out at the end of 2019, The Day is Now Far Spent, it, uh, I mentioned that it uh, is the, it's a part of a th- trilogy. The latest in a trilogy. Uh, the first book was God or Nothing, followed by The Power of Silence. Now we have The Day is Now Far Spent. Mark, can you talk a little bit about how this book maybe carries on some of the themes in the first two books, and also what is it, um, what does it bring out that's maybe new?
4: Well, Chris, the first book is really about, in a lot of ways, about Cardinal Serra's background uh, as an African bishop and the the spiritual insights that came about through, uh, you know, his his life story and his encounter uh, with the faith and spreading the faith. The second book is more focused on the importance of silence and prayer and discernment and listening to God and, you know, Having silence as a, as it were, to change the metaphor, uh, a space uh, for God to speak. And what silence uh, sounds like, in, in a world that's dominated by so much sound. Sorry, we're talking to Catholic radio now. I love Catholic radio, <laughs> but <there are laughs>
1: no, no offense sure. taken. No. We've actually done a piece on uh, that book as well. We had a, a consecrated or, or nun from the Apostles of Interior Life come and talk about her review of The Power of Silence, which is really excellent yeah. for reflection. And again, yeah, Mark, that's my that's lovely the... co-host, Pam Marvin. Hello.
4: Hi, Pam. It's it's great to hear your voice and that you're not silent. <laughs> <laughs> but, but then, you know, he moves from this to this book, The Day is Now Far sp- Spent, and the title comes from the passage of Scripture, The, the Disciples on the Road to Emmaus. and uh, when our Lord is walking with them and they don't realize it's it's the Lord and he's going to keep walking on and they say, no, no, come with us. Uh, you know, uh, it's evenings approaching, the day is now far spent. The idea, you know, rather than you go on, why don't you come and abide with us? It's, it's the end of the day. And of course the Lord does go back with them and when they're having dinner, uh, there's this uh, intimation of the Eucharist because as they bring bread, uh, they suddenly their eyes are opened, and they realize Jesus has been with them this whole time. And so what I think Cardinal Seurat wants us to be aware of, yes, the, the day is now far spent, the activities of the day, there's been a lot of things going on in the Church, and we're entering into, in some ways, not always, but in some ways, a dark period of the evening or the night, yeah. but we don't need to be afraid because the Lord is abiding with us, and we need to be mindful of that. And despite a lot of the challenges facing the church now, and you know, we really do need renewal in the church and in our world. And this book, in, in many respects, is a call for that uh, renewal and conversion, and so on. Uh, our Lord is with us, and we need to take comp- we need to take consolation in that, uh, even as we. Seek to foster renewal of the church. So there's a lot. He says a lot about that too, about how the church is to get renewed. But that's that's sort of the basic point of departure for
0: the book. Yeah, I think it's interesting. You mentioned that he is an African, and I I think that in his very person he carries the past and the future of the of the Catholic Church. You know, he he is from a continent where the church is growing very uh, vibrantly and in a very orthodox manner. Um, but he has, because of Guinea being a French colony, he grew up in with a French education, and he's had French culture and, and Western civilization imparted to him on top of the fact that he is a Catholic. Um, talk a little bit about his background and how that—him straddling those two areas of the world uh, and those two cultural— moments kind of uh, informs our understanding of this newest book and his view on things
4: well, it's fascinating, as you say he's got sort of these three or actually many more than that, but i we can describe his background in terms of three cultural st- strands mm-hmm. make sure we i don't want to be misunderstood you know uh, Africa's a big place, and Guinea's one place in africa exactly <laughs> there are lots of cultural streams that feed uh feed them. Uh, so, so if I speak broadly of African culture, I please want people to be aware. I understand there's there's a great, uh, but there is a kind of um, uh, uh, sort of a primordial or a more fundamental experience of the rhythm of life and what it means to be a human being. That um, some cultures, uh, places like Africa, uh, have a have they're more in touch with and other cultures, especially Westernized cultures have lost sight of. So there is a positive dimension to that in uh, Cardinal's own experience. And in addition to that, as you mentioned uh, the French background and the contact with Western culture that that's broader than just simply Christianity. And that's been an element that's fed him as well. So he's a man who can look at both the strengths and weaknesses of his own African culture and the strength strengths and weaknesses of Western culture uh, and say, here, here are things that are here that the West has lost sight of. Here are things that the West brings to the discussion that you know other cultures maybe aren't aware of or aren't fully aware of. But of course, enveloping both of those things and, and going beyond them is Christianity and the Catholic faith. So, uh, you know, whatever we want to say, the value of human cultures and human societies and, uh, you know, our own experiences and those things are good. They come from the created order that God has made. Nevertheless, they've been affected by human sin. And so there's a distortion of the, of the goodness of God and the message of the Lord, the message of Christ, Christianity and Catholic Christianity, the fullness of Christian, Christian faith as we believe it is, uh, takes what's what's good and positive in the human culture, but also um, you know seeks to to bring about conversion as we cling to things in our culture and our way way of life that are actually contrary to our, our true purpose and fulfillment in god and so what's fascinating to me many things fascinating to, to me about Cardinal Surrah, but one of the things is how he brings these various elements together, so he is yes. in many ways. Uh, traditional, but at the same time, he's a he's a man of the Second Vatican Council. He is in many respects, uh, uh, you know, expressive of his Guinean origins and African culture. At the same time, he's he knows the Western tradition very very well. So uh, he brings these things all together in just a fascinating mix. He is not against institutional reforms and changes in the Church. He certainly. Uh, doesn't think those are bad things. He's all for them, but at the same time, he calls us to what is the foundation of improvement, reform in the church, which is personal conversion. <laughs> so right. I, I just I just love reading him, and I find him so spiritually beneficial to me.
0: Yes, and then um, what about Monsieur Diet? What talk talk to us a little bit about him, and especially how did they develop this close, trusted relationship?
4: Well, Diet is a French journalist, um, and uh, he's over the years, he's, he's come to know Cardinal Sarah and, and is actually, in a certain way, a kind of co author of, of the, the books of this trilogy because the books are based upon uh, Diaz interviewing uh, Cardinal Sarah And so, you know, he, he brings, uh, he's more than just uh, an also ran, he brings a, you know, contributive element to shaping the narrative of these books. Yes. I, I should also mention he's one of our authors now. We published a book of his, Time to Die uh last fall, uh, shortly before this book came out, uh, Day Days Not Far Spent, in which he talks about uh his experience uh his with 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 monks and the preparation for death, you know, and mm. we often in our society don't want to think about death, uh, but we have to because we're all gonna die and we can have a morbid fixation on it, but that's not what we're talking about here when we talk about the time to die, the idea is to prepare, do the things that we need to do uh, to live our lives in such a way that we're prepared for moving beyond, which is what death is.
0: That's right. That's right. We're wa- reminding you that we're talking with Mark Brumley here on Red Sea Roundup this morning. You're listening on 88.5 FM in Brazos Valley, 98.3 in Central Texas, 107.9 in Palestine, Texas. want to also ask you to call in 85 Love Red C eight five five six eight three seven three three two. Get a pair of tickets to the Central Texas Fellowship of Catholic Men's Conference, Curtis Martin and Dr. Edward Shree, both of the Augustine Institute, <laughs> who have a collaboration with Ignatius Press, as we are saying. They're going to be headlining that event. That is on Saturday, February eighth. Don't miss out. Ladies, call in and get your husband's boyfriend, fiance, a little early Valentine's present. 85 Love Red Sea. (laughs) Pam.
1: Yes. Mark, I want to point out to our listeners the way this book was set up because it it just, the the progression of it is quite beautiful. So it's actually set up in about um, four parts. First being Spiritual and Religious Collapse, part two, Man Belittled, which I thought was very interesting because um, I think at the crux of so much of our our crisis as a people is the lack of human dignity, which Cardinal Seurat really comes closer. So if you want to speak on uh, kind of that part too, this, this collapse of, of the human dignity of a person that he kind of references in this area.
4: Well, it's, I, I, it's a fascinating topic. And of course, there's a lot we can say. Um, on the one hand, we live in an age where we exalt uh, humanity, you know, we talk about human rights, we talk about, we use the language of human autonomy, and I should have the right to do what I want to do, and and we we really emphasized the freedom of the individual and so on. So that sounds like, hey, we're fixated, we, we have this, uh, it, you know, this great love for humanity. But in point of fact, as Hyatt uh, emphasizes at the outset, there's really uh, a contempt for humanity, modern, what he calls the modern hatred of man. Mm. And that's because when we don't understand ourselves as uh, properly related to God, we don't see ourselves as coming from God, we don't Mm. see ourselves as children of God, uh, then uh, what we think is freedom really isn't freedom. It doesn't really liberate, it enslaves. And so there's a kind of, uh, self-loathing and hatred behind this emphasis on uh, sort of an excessive or inappropriate autonomy or self-will mm-hmm. uh, quality. So we see this, you know, uh, we, looked, we just finished uh, uh, week activities in connection with the uh, right to life, especially for the unborn. Well, you know, what, where does this um, attack on human life with respect to unborn children originate from, it it originates from a false autonomy uh, when it comes to sexuality. So we say, well, you know, women should have a right to do with their bodies, what they want to do, and their, their sexual reproductive rights, and so on. And that's looked at in isolation from the value the inherent dignity of unborn human life. So this whole section that you call attention to in the book looks at this paradox this contradiction on the one hand we profess to uh, affirm human dignity but on the other hand how we actually live and the things we submit to the things we do undercuts that dignity uh, and similarly with respect to the relationship of men and women uh, we suppose, supposedly affirming the dignity of women in, in the modern Context of talking about human equality, but yet many of the things we do wind up devaluing and exploiting women.
1: Indeed, and in part three, it goes on to talk about the fall of truth, moral decadence, and political bad habits. But the the one chapter that really stuck out to me, uh, which kind of relates my show in general, I like to talk about human formation. Like to to have our re, our, our listeners walk away with um, nuggets about virtue and and, and the Chapter Twelve: The Deceptive Seductions of Supposedly Emancipated Life is exactly still on the scene that we're talking about. Is kind of the big lie I think that Satan has uh, has bought us that we are separate from God and that we, in some cases, you see this um, the big New Age movement of being we are God ourselves. Um, but again, if we start to talk about the deceptive seductions and uh, supposedly, I like the way he said that a supposedly emancipated life. If you could just take a second and kind of kind of clarify for our audiences what he's getting at there.
4: Well, you, know, he, he, you mentioned the supposedly emancipated life. He's got this other uh, kind of qualification uh, in this chapter. It's the so-called developed societies, you know, um, mm-hmm. we're supposedly developed here, you know, in the West and in, in you know, North America and, and in Europe. Uh, but In many ways, we're undeveloped or underdeveloped. You know, um, Teresa used to talk about the spiritual poverty of the West. Um, And 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 Colonel Sarai talks about that as well. He says, in the so-called developed societies, the moral and spiritual poverty is immense. Partying becomes the only means of forgetting the nothingness into which individuals have fallen. So this idea that we're liberated from the constraints of morality. We can make up our own minds about what's right and wrong. We don't have to sort of conform our lives to an objective moral standard. Uh, we decide what that moral standard is for ourselves. We find that although it sounds good, it sounds like we're being liberated. We wind up, you know, not emancipated, but addicted. You know, we become mm-hmm. slaves. So whether mm-hmm. it's it's alcohol or drugs or, uh, you know, Pornography inappropriate, too much pornography, consumption of, uh, of media too much, uh, the, you know, untempered desire for pleasure and other forms of gratification, pursuit of money, power, all these kinds of things um, these are all distortions of things that God gave us, things that are basically good, but because we have bought into a distorted notion a false notion of freedom or emancipation, we wind up enslaved.
1: Yeah, you know, also in that um, that section on the fall of truth and moral decadence, there's also a really great chapter uh, that really struck out to me is the decline of courage in the fatal utopias of the best of all worlds. Again, that same topic, but I think that uh, moral courage, I mean I think almost today people are not even sure what that looks like anymore. Um if you could talk a little bit on what that kind of courage that he speaks sure. well, that, of here.
4: Well there's this there's this great line uh here. He says, courage does not work without a genuine interior strength. So courage is rooted in an in interior strength, something that comes from within. It's not just about, you know, being physically strong or uh physically intimidated, intimidating, but there's an interior strength. He says, there can be combat only if it is supported by moral and spiritual values. Courageous men distinguish themselves by the determination to overcome obstacles. Often we notice that our courage comes from our relationship, our relation to God. Heaven makes heroes. That's an important point. Again, our determination to live well, and to serve others, and to be courageous in that sense, being heroes of our own story, as it were. All of that is dependent upon our right relationship with God and and what's going on in our interior life. And if we don't cultivate that interior life through prayer, we shouldn't be surprised that we find ourselves in situations in life where we're constantly uh, compromising uh, the integrity of our values and our commitments. And that's really what's going on in many ways in our society and even in our church. And uh, this goes back to the point in the second book, The Power of Silence, that lack of proper interiority or prayer and inner relationship with God. When we lack that, then it's very difficult to live externally in the world around us uh, in ways that are called for by the challenges that we face, whether it's, again, this whether we're talking about living more generally in the world or even in the church today.
0: Yeah. We're speaking with Mark Brumley about the book from Ignatius Press, The Day is Now Far Spent, by Robert Cardinal Seurat and his collaborator, the French journalist, Nicolas Diot. Um, Mark, do you think that, you know, this is a book that can kind of uh, you can jump in at any point because it is this conversation between these two men. It's an interview style, long form interview style. Um, to talk a little bit about the, the process of putting the book together and some of the advantages of this interview um, style that they've pursued in these three books.
4: Well you took the words right out of my mouth. Yeah. <laughs> one of the advantages of, of the interview format is you can kind of just delve in at any point. You know, you don't have to start the beginning and go all the way to the end nothing wrong with doing that, but you'll see how there are various themes in the chapters and questions posed via uh, to Seurat that, that makes it easy for you to just enter in at any point. Um, also, the fact that there's just such an array of topics that they, that they cover in modern life, you know, everything from ecology to politics to personal morality to, you know, Uh, how we live in a capitalist society and nature of the human person, how we find salvation, how we pray, all these kinds of things. Um, I I just find, I find Sra always fascinating. And uh, he's also, I find reading this book, uh, I found all three of his books is valuable, but this book especially I've used in going to, um, adoration praying during adoration just you know reading a little section of the book meditating on it in light of prayer um, and praying about it has been very helpful so that that's one of the things I think when you um, when you, we publish these these interview format books uh, that that we find very helpful the, the ability of people to just access them at any really at any point
0: yeah one of the things I love about reading him too is I get exposed to a whole other strand of, uh, the intellectual tradition, the, the French intellectual tradition. So he's, you know, he's referencing Charles Peggy and Jacques Maritain and Pascal. So, um, that, that's always really refreshing too. You said that there's a number of topics. One of the topics that seems to really be of great, great concern to Cardinal Seurat, and he mentions it repeatedly and it, it, uh, is almost frightening in the way that he paints it and that's transhumanism what is transhumanism they don't give a real concise definition so for our listeners who may not be familiar with that word they may have heard transgenderism what is transhumanism
4: well transhumanism is the claim that we can transcend the givenness of human nature Through uh, technological means, whether we're talking about um, mechanical technology or biological uh, technology, to to, to even to put it, to uh, to describe it in terms of a superior human being is is misleading because that presupposes that we're talking about uh, human beings and the perfection of, of human nature. But in point of fact, what we're talking about is. Uh, a manipulation of the human person as if uh, human beings are subjects of of experimentation, uh, like an automobile that can be improved or some other um, device that can be improved. So transhumanism is a claim that, that we can uh, create a kind of human being that is, um, not constrained by the givens of human nature as god has created us
0: yes and he cardinal Sarah says specifically quote that he says the church is the last rampart against this macabre suicidal new world ethic why is the or how is the church this last rampart in his mind
4: well because because the church stands for what God has revealed, uh, and God has revealed who we are as children made in His image and likeness, and what we're called to be, which is sons and daughters of God and so because of this original givenness or this giftedness we might say, um, the church has to you know because the church stands for God the church stands for the goodness of God. Uh, as expressed in making man, the human person, uh, as he is. And these alternative ideas that would suggest that we can find human fulfillment by altering the human person, contrary to God's purpose, you know, the the Church stands in the way of that. So um, it's the Church that's going to be, you know, it's it's the disciples of Jesus Christ. Uh, Jesus is the Savior of humanity the one who is the model um, to which human beings are by grace called to conform themselves, and in whom by grace we're called to, to find fulfillment. Because we stand for Jesus Christ in God's plan for humanity, we're going to be at odds with other efforts that that don't uh, conform to the truth about man. Uh, Cardinal Seurat, it's interesting that talking about transhumanism, he puts this in, a, in a, its proper context. He says, this is a quote, transhumanism feeds into the mad plan to accelerate evolution by pushing back the limits of the human being and by creating new forms of life. It encourages genetic research that in the near future is supposed to make possible the birth of a hybrid man slash human uh, machine. hmm Scientists who promote transhumanism attempt to achieve what is, with no doubt whatsoever, the oldest dream of humanity maliciously instilled in Adam and Eve by Satan. In the Bible, the serpent, in fact, reassures the woman in these terms. You will not die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. In other words, Shiraz says transhumanism, this isn't really new, this is the old story, the old lie, going back to the garden, where human beings were told that they could be divine in their own terms. And rather than uh, submitting to God and, and receiving uh, the life of divine grace from God, they took the matter in their own hands and believed the devil. And as a consequence, sin entered into the world, and we've been suffering through it and causing it ever since. And transhumanism is just the latest in a long line of isms that seek to derail uh, human beings from the calling that God has given us.
0: But it's, a, it's again, this lowered horizon. It's it's the removal of the transcendent from the human experience and extending out the perspective rather than upwards in, in terms of uh, to heaven or to our divine um reflection rather putting it out in time into some utopian future on this planet is where humanity will find its fulfillment and transhumanism is this latest um promise of that utopian vision correct
4: that's right that's right and, and of course there's an, a a a very fascinating traditional interpretation of why God stations the angels in the garden, you know, with the flaming swords Mm -hmm. after the fall of humanity. And one way of looking at that is, uh, if you think of the tree of life at the center of the garden uh, as, as sort of the principle of continuity of life, and God does not want humanity to stay as it is in its fallen state does not want human beings to be eternally fallen. Uh, So part of one way of thinking about this that Seurat develops is that we we can't, these various isms, whether it's transhumanism or communism or really uh, excessive capitalism that seeks to provide
0: Mark, you still here?
4: limited—yes, I'm here. Okay. Yeah.
0: We lost you for a second.
4: Okay. Things that seek to provide satisfaction in this world, the idea of extending that on for eternity, which is really what the various isms do—communism or excessive capitalism, uh, transhumanism, and things of that sort—really are condemnations to, to fallenness, and they are ultimately frustrating and won't fulfill us. So as you, as you say, Sarah, and the, and the Catholic Church call us to this transcendent vision that we are made for more than what we experience in this life, and, and we are, by God's grace, through Jesus Christ, raised to uh, that fulfillment and that perfect completion uh, that God made us for.
0: Yeah, it's interesting, just in the two words themselves, they both contain the prefix trans. They both there's this recognition that human beings are meant for something beyond themselves, but uh, one of them has that beyondness um, misplaced. Pam.
1: Yeah. Well, I think we'd be remiss when talking about this book, if we didn't end to discussing his um, part four of the book, rediscovering hope, the practice of Christian virtues, a topic near and dear to my heart. Um, so, With everything that the cardinal has been telling us, we really want to just like sit at his feet and really learn from him. And I think that uh, talking about the practice of Christian virtue and God opens his hands in chapter 18, what must we do? So, Mark, could you spend a little time and and wrap out these last about— four minutes of our show talking about this hope and the virtues and what can we do of the listeners listening today. We know we're in the muck, but help us be people of hope and Easter people. And tell us a little bit more about these, this last part of the book.
4: is well, this great response. Of course, he's asked by Deid right out of the gate in that chapter, you know, your diagnosis seems somber. Are you <laughs> not lacking in hope? He says, hope is not a smug optimism. Since a believer's hope has its source in God, one can truly hope only insofar as one has ties with God and is open to His influence. Hope is a constant battle. In this battle, in this constant combat, in this combat, the only weapons we wield are prayer, silence, the Word of God, and faith. We need an uprising of men and women who have the courage and spiritual energy to speak and act, thus sowing around them the seeds of good sense, truth, love, and peace. Yes, hope is a difficult combat. And he quotes the catechism, talks about the theological virtue, hope being the theological virtue by which we desire the kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven, and eternal life as our happiness, and placing our trust in Christ's promises. So, you know, that the, her, hope is a virtue, that's to say, It's a habit of activity, something that we we acquire by God's grace and which is strengthened through the elements that he mentions, prayer, silence, which means giving God a chance to talk, Mm -hmm. (laughs) the Word of God, and faith. So when we root ourselves in praying, listening for God, what God has revealed about himself in his Word, and we respond by believing that, shaping our lives according to it, then we can be hopeful. We can have hope, even in the face of great challenges. He's uh, got this great line. He says, Christians are peaceful and confident because they know that Christ has already conquered. So that doesn't mean that we don't uh, you know, deal with problems. As, as Diat points out throughout this whole book, he's looking at problems that confront us. But there's a kind of confidence that we have as a result of the virtue of hope Uh, that comes about through prayer in nurturing our understanding of faith in in our own lives, that confidence that allows us to face the challenges and not feel overwhelmed by them.
0: Well, this has been a really wonderful conversation, Mark. We're under our last minute. Uh, We've talked with Mark Brumley of Ignatius Press. we talked about the day is now far spent, the last of a trilogy of books by Robert Cardinal Seurat, and as we draw to the end of the program mark if you can hang on the line with us after we go away but thank you so much for your time this morning it was very very profitable and uh, thank you for
4: your great service of the of Catholic radio
0: oh you're you're absolutely welcome keep us in your prayers every all of you listeners thanks for listening to Red Sea roundup and go out and love your neighbor as Pam Marvin <laughs> likes to say <style. laughs> we'll see you next time